You're listening to Life and Shit. I'm Danielle Walker. And I'm Tommy Walker. Join us as we talk about our journey overcoming fears, boundaries, marriage, family, lifestyle, business, and whatever other shit you can think of. We're individuals that came together to create one unit with one mind and one goal. Welcome to another episode of Life Shit. Yes, welcome. Super happy. We got a guest. It's always exciting when we have a guest in it the is, building. It is. Like, it is. like especially when they cool as shit. Yeah. Right. Like, yes. like. Wait a minute. I'm not hot. <laughs> no, you're not hot yet. Uh, not, not yet. <laughs> I'm working my way there. <laughs> you know, when, when you when when you meet somebody for the first time and you hit it off in the studio, it feel like like damn, like you feel like we we've known each other for a minute yeah, and I you just showed right. up. So so right. we like to welcome Paul Pantini to the to the show. Welcome, welcome. Paul to the show. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for hanging out with us in the studio. My pleasure. Thank you for the invite. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to talk about Paul's background, 30 year in law enforcement um, and, and not just your typical, not like your average law enforcement, like Bureau of Investigation, Riverside County, like not in, in mentorship and training. And I mean, it, it's a long list. Not what you think of regular law enforcement. You did some real cool shit in law enforcement. <laughs> it, it's been an amazing 30 years. It's it's truly been fun. I've had some ups and some downs, but overall, I have zero regrets. See, that that's dope. And then also host of his own podcast called Transition Drill, which we're going to dig into uh, because uh, you actually speak to law enforcement, veterans, first responders about transitioning, which is a very important thing, especially nowadays. And I've had a lot of conversations just this year alone about transition and 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 that's huge and we actually (laughs) was just talking pre-show about danielle transitioning from being an mri technologist to an entrepreneur yeah which was a huge transition it was it was scary huge totally different still kind of the same still kind of dealing with it always changing yeah (laughs) (laughs) always something new (laughs) it's super dope so so again paul variety is the spice of life (laughs) that's facts (laughs) so again we're honored and then we we got it we got to make this known because we had ken barnes on the show yes and ken had brought a bottle of wine Mm -hmm. that time paul had to up up the answer (laughs) or at least be equal i just had to at least be the same level (laughs) he came through with a a 2017 reserve and then not only that but paul tell us about this uh woman-owned veteran-owned winery that you brought to us oh so i didn't get that part i like my wife and i enjoy wine as you guys do and one of the things that i have definitely used to my advantage in doing the podcast is getting the opportunity to talk to former veteran or veterans, former first responders who have embedded themselves in the wine industry. Mm. So this, this winery here is bone niche. They are a Paso Robles winery. Actually, if, if you're familiar with the area, it's actually San Miguel. So it would be the North and Eastern portion of the Paso Robles area. Okay. The owner of the winery is Melanie Harding. She is a Navy veteran started basically her story is is that she was a a navy nurse when she was stationed in italy she went let me learn about this wine stuff you know Mm kind of not really into wine but started learning it in italy and just became passionate Mm -hmm. and so came back home and wanted to get into it and an adjacent winery close to hers is owned by leon Leon tackett who is a former navy eod guy Mm kind of took her under his wing she's got her own winery now and the other cool aspect that she's really trying to do is is the 
and I'm gonna, sure I'm gonna get it wrong, but the green organic thing. She's got goats and pigs and stuff to walk around the, the, wow. the vineyards and eat the, the grass and the weeds and all that type stuff. Okay. So it's total, the overall experience is great, but she makes some great wines. Wow, great wine and she's doing it right. That is delicious. Yeah, it is amazing. All right, so we need the personal invite. Yes. <laughs> that's, so that's that wine, right? Yeah, that is why my Ken, I'm sorry. <laughs> Did I top it? <laughs> that is good. We appreciate cheers. you. <laughs> cheers. Definitely cheers. Thank you. Thank and you. and for all future guests, uh now you know what you have to do. <laughs> that's I mean it's oh, it's just that straight. <laughs> I love it. Straightforward. I love it. Paul, tell us a lot of times when people come on, people always want to know, are you single and ready to mingle or are you married? I am married. Okay. I am. My wife and I just crossed our five year anniversary at the end of September. Okay, and you did say that you guys like wine together. So we do. True. That was a spoiler alert. <laughs> We're recording down here in San Diego. What got me to draw my wife out of PB was wineries up in Temecula. Ah. Mm, that was so, hard then. Yeah. It wasn't, but in the long run, I'm hoping we get back down here because San Diego is such a nice place to live. So, so did you, you were living down here and then moved to Temecula? No. So I, you mentioned already, so I work in Riverside County. I was mm. working in Riverside. She was living in PB okay. and it was quite the drive for me. Ooh, I'm sure. And so early in our relationship, Temecula was the midway point. And so I go, okay, I'll just move there. Get me a little bit closer. When she wants to come up, it's a little bit closer. And we already were into wine, but it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, all right, we're going to get married and work for me needed to be in Riverside. Mm -hmm. So Temecula is where we ended up. Okay. And I totally understand because we used to have an office in Riverside mm -hmm. and we asked, the, we used to go to that office in Redlands, right? And once a week, we going up to 15. It's like, my gosh, eventually that, that hike became easy. And we thought about it, like maybe we should move to Temecula. <laughs> It'd be a little easier. Yeah, it's like the, the same thing. But the fact that you moved down, boy, I tell you, love. Love. Like the things we do for love. Hey, I, can I can tell you about the mornings on my motorcycle at 3 o'clock heading back home so I can get to work. <laughs> at least you had a motorcycle. That is true. <laughs> because that is true. traffic on a 15. Mm. Jeez. Mm -hmm. That is true. <laughs> and we, we talked a little bit about your occupation, so we know exactly like what you do. But tell us a little more about your occupation and what you do now. Basically, my entire adult life, I've been in law enforcement from, uh, I'll throw myself under the bus. In high school, I was a knucklehead, mm. barely graduated. I say this story all the time. Fortunately for me, in my senior year, I had a, I had a new guidance, I got a new guidance counselor. And she talked to me the way I needed to be talked to. And basically, pull your damn head out of your ass because your 1.97 GPA is not going to prepare you for anything in mm. life and flat out told me which branch of the service are you going into because you're not going to college mm. and it was purely just application you know and to take a, a little step backwards by the time i was 13 my dad and i were just butting heads mm. and i got into high school and i wanted to play football and i injured my knee nothing to the point where it should stop me from playing football but the doctor gave the, the very safe answer. I wouldn't recommend that he play because he could re-injure it. It's all my dad needed to hear. You're not playing football. That was it. And for me, it was, well, I'll show you. And I just didn't care about school. Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, senior year of high school, 1.97 GPA at the start of the year. I applied myself and I, I brought my average up into like a high C. You know, you could only do so much in one year. But as weird as that was, 
as much as a knucklehead as I was, and, and I was doing stuff right on that line of really getting in trouble, I, if you'd asked me, what do you want to do? I want to be a cop. Don't ask me where it came from. I don't come from a long line. I've got nobody in my family that was law enforcement. But First generation law enforcement, all because you was being an asshole. Basically. <laughs> yes. um, I'm sure if, if there's any psychologist listening, there's some sort of, I was seeking my dad's approval. Mm. And not that he was somebody who was very pro-law enforcement, but there was one pivotal moment when it, I think it might've been my junior year where they sent home the, the, uh, the slips to, hey, they can search your locker whenever they want. And I threw out some stupid thing like, can you believe they want to let the cops search my locker? And his thing was, you let them search your locker anytime they want to. And if you don't, I'll come down there and I'll open it. And I went, oh, my dad likes cops or, or at least respects <laughs> cops. Yeah. And so I'm sure that had some sort of underlying motivation behind it. Okay. So right out of high school, I was, well, I graduated in June and by March I was a cadet, which is basically a paid volunteer within a police department. Mm. And the rest is history. That was 1988, and I am still doing it today. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. That's an amazing story. I love that. So we know what you do for work. What, it, what about what you like to do for fun? My new passion outside of wine. Uh, last couple of years is jujitsu. Takes up a lot of my time. I wish I had more time for it. And for anybody who does jujitsu, I'm probably preaching to the choir, but it's, man, I wish I would have started this 20 years ago, or I wish yeah. I started this when I was 10, or whatever. But yeah. You know, I came into it when I was 52 years old. And so, but it's, it's what I enjoy. And what, what made you get into it? I was always interested in it. Obviously 30 plus years in law enforcement, you get defensive tactics training, but it's very limited. Mm -hmm. And it always just kind of was there in the back of my mind. It seemed like it was kind of interesting, kind of fun. And there's a restaurant that my wife and I will walk to in Temecula for breakfast on a regular basis. Two years ago, we walked by and like new shop coming in. Text my now, you know, professor. I said, hey, Jason, when are you going to open? You go, open next week. I'm like, <laughs> hey, babe, let's give this a try. And the she rest. She with you. She did it for a little while. Okay. Um, she's had it. She's actually had a knee surgery. And early on, probably about six or eight months into it, unfortunately, just went left when she should have went right. Or, oh. or I don't say, I don't want to make it sound like she did it. Somebody took her left when they should have taken her right. Oh. And enough to tweak her knee, like, uh, I'm good with this. I don't need to go through another surgery. So you go have fun. I'm going to, I'll sit back here and watch. Totally understand that. Yeah, that would, I would, I would be like. <laughs> oh, gosh. You'd be looking at me like, why yeah. did you have yeah, exactly. <laughs> But she, uh, she'll tell me that all the time when I'm heading to class. Make good decisions. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, facts. Now, it's funny because. I have the same desire for martial arts and, and I got a buddy that's been doing jujitsu for a few years now. He, he does it with his son and me and him about the same age. And he, it was funny because he had a knot on his head because like a 12 year old had, he was sparring with a 12 year old and, and he got, <laughs> got the best of him. And I was like, and he, and he, and we, when we hung out, he, you know, he come, he's like, I'm sore. I'm this, I'm that. He's like, but I love it. Like anybody that does jujitsu, Love it. It's true. And and I found that I find it so impressive. We're, we're going to obviously talk about, you know, business and ownership. And, and I really honestly believe that, and I'm trying not to sound cliche, mm. but one of the things about the struggle of jujitsu is it carries over to the rest of your life. Mm. Because when you're on the mat and somebody is much bigger than you, much more skilled than you, and basically putting you in a position where you want to quit, but you just in your head say, I'm not going to, I mean, you're going to tap if they get you there, but just being uncomfortable 
and not quitting is a huge life lesson. You mentioned children. My daughter is now doing it. She's a little over a year into it. And the, the, the best thing that I've loved watching her is we didn't push it on her. Mm. We exposed her to it. Mm-hmm. Took her to it, the funniest thing was I had only been doing jujitsu maybe about two months. Went to my first open mat, and for people who don't do jujitsu, it's there's no structure to it. It's just everybody shows up at the studio and you clap hands. Let's start rolling. I was rolling with my professor. He's smaller than me, and basically at the end of it, my daughter goes, "Dad, you're so much bigger than him." It's like that's the skill of it, you know. And it just kind of opened her eyes. And then we took her to a competition and my professor started a Saturday class. And so when she was coming down for her visits, I go, Hey, do you mind if she jumps in? He goes, no, give it, let her give it a try. She took it and ran with it. Nice. And to watch her immerse herself in a different studio, closer to where she's living and just headlong into it, headlong just, and the best experience I can give you is my professor brought in a very high level competition black belt mm. for a, a demonstration class. Happens regularly at a jujitsu studio. My daughter has been doing jujitsu at this point, maybe two and a half, three months. She's 17 years old. When the class gets done and he's like, hey, anybody wants to roll with me? She waited her turn. She went up to him. Hey, I'd like to roll with you. And I'm like, I talked to her afterwards. what do you think you were gonna do? And she goes, dad, when am I ever gonna get the opportunity to roll with that level of a black belt That's again? A fact. That's, right. That's At a fact. 17 years old, she was just like, this, I'm going for this. That's so <laughs> that so it, it was so cool to see it through my kids' eyes. Yes. That is great. That is, I, I would be like, that was my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, I love it. It sounds like you have accomplished a lot of dreams along with your journey in life, but what are some other dreams that you would like to um, perhaps have? My biggest dream right now is to be the best husband and friend to my wife that I can be. Mm. I tell everybody who listens to me that I am so fortunate that I found her when I was 48 and not 28 Mm. because I finally grew up enough to understand what I had in her or have in her Mm. and what I could lose by being a knucklehead myself. Mm. The other thing is, is I've got, as I've I've got three kids, they're triplets. Um, I want to see, I want to be that rock that encourages them to take chances. Go live your life. Mm. Do follow your heart, especially right now. You're 18 years old, heading off to college, follow your heart, see where, see where life takes you. So I wanna be that rock that, that supports them. And then from a selfish side of it, I want my podcast to grow just like yours. No, yeah. no, that's right. So that's that's my, my my big dream right now is that. I love it. Thousand percent. I love it. I love what you said about uh, being a better husband and a better friend to your wife. Um, is this your first marriage? No. No, it's your second. So some usually it takes a couple of times, right? <laughs> so that that's pretty cool. Um, and then triplets. Triplets. Oh man. Don't don't I mean, look at me like it's anything. Doctors and drugs. Right. I was say right up. Right. First time. That was. Oh it. yeah. <laughs> I mean that's it though. Talking about knocking it out the park. Yeah, you're like yeah, I'm, I'm done. done. Yeah. <laughs> the. Uh, Do you have a vasectomy? No. I would have. What they would have both of them. <laughs> I'm just gonna leave these right here. Yeah, like, y'all can have them. <laughs> no, it was it was for anybody who's who's gone down that pathway. I I feel for you. It is a huge stress on a marriage. And uh, I am thankful to this day that I have my kids 
but it was definitely a journey. Just having children, period. Yes, in, yes. In a, in a marriage, but having three at a time, I, I could When you I immediately just... outnumber the the parents with the kids, it's... <laughs> like you're losing. Yes. Right from the start. What I will tell anybody <laughs> is if, if you're heading into triplets, a schedule and don't get off that schedule. Oh, man. And make sure the schedule accommodates everybody, right? The kids, the husband, and the wife. Because Ooh, I think that's now, now you're right? going deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it's like, let's get a schedule. It's like the kids are all straight. Now what about us? Right? It's like you forget, you know, and then you forget about what how you were before the kids came. It's like, let's remember us. Yes. So there's a yeah. So three kids, three triplets, any stepchildren? No. New wife? Okay. Any desires to have no, more kids? We tried. Yeah. I got a buddy that's pregnant right now. I would have never thunk it. Like his wife came in and she was like, hey, we're pregnant. I was like, oh shit. She was like, <laughs> I know, right? And I was like, cause first I was like, congratulations. She was like, no, I know, right? And they have twins. So I was like, damn. They have grown up twins. Grown up twins, yeah. Like they're grandparents. Yeah. <sighs> I'm sure you ask a hundred people and you're gonna get a hundred different opinions. If, it, if you're right in your head and your heart and who cares what your age is, yeah. you know? Now, I do get it. Some of the, you, especially like movie stars, didn't Al Pacino just have, or uh, De Niro just have a, a kid? Yeah. And he's in his 70s. Maybe there's a point where you kind of go, all right, uh, it's Gotta time to be a little to bit stop. more responsible. <laughs> but now, I mean, they say what's 50s, the new 30 or whatever it is. So well, if, you, if you're in your 50s, go for it. I mean, you just said you was 52. I didn't expect for you to drop 54. that. 54. I started you just when yeah, I was 52. Okay, so so I tell you this, you don't look 54. Well, you thank you. You don't yeah. sound like it. You're, and if you're doing jujitsu, you definitely don't feel like it. <laughs> oh, I, no, I feel it. You feel it? Oh, I feel it. <laughs> And I'm saying you guys are talking about having children from a male's perspective because women are definitely <laughs> not true. having no babies at 50. Yeah. That, is, I mean? that is like, true. Damn that is sure true. Not having no kids at 70. That is true. But I, I just think that that's one of those weird things that I don't know the universe gave men to be able to plent like plentiful to procreate. Earth. Yeah, for forever oh. until freaking 70. That's bananas to me. <laughs> <laughs> You're not shooting out dust. It's still actually live living beings. But Damn whatever. it. Still right? shooting live rounds. <laughs> That's a fact. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I got a question. And, and Paul, you, you talked about, I thought you was going to say it. Well, you, you talked about being uh, a knucklehead in, in high school, but so out of, and, and all of us have to ask this question. Um, it's like one of those, have I ever, right? Mm. Have you ever been in jail? Got who real, real, who real, real first. close. <laughs> oh, I'm the guest. I thought I was forced to go first. Now you are. Got real, real close. Real close. Yeah. I went through, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the term? Um, a kleptomaniac stage. Mm. Where I, if it wasn't nailed down, I was stealing it. <laughs> and I thought, I, you know, at probably, I don't know, I was probably 12, 13 years old, whatever the hell it was. You think you're being slick. Yeah, Nobody's yeah, yeah. knowing. And then one day, you know, your dad comes in, hands a paper bag and goes, what's all this? I was like, oh, so. And he found it. Yeah. Um, but no, other, I mean, other than just getting contacted by police, doing stupid stuff, lighting fireworks, drinking, that type. But never, never anything for whatever it was. And that's one of the interesting things that I've experienced doing my podcast because so many of the ones who are successful, mm. I feel like I relate to them because they all seem to kind of come from this not perfect background, which kind of forces you to be 
more independent and more chance taking. Mm -hmm. And so True. I've talked to a bunch of guests who didn't lead the best path, but for whatever reason, we had good parents who at least instilled that good moral compass where, man, you got right to that edge, but you knew, cause I'll tell you this, as much as a knucklehead as I was, I feared my dad more than any police officer. Mm. And the idea of having to call him from jail, it, like, no, lock the door. Never yeah, happened. I, yeah, yeah, I'll be safer in here. <laughs> I, w I hope my kids feel that way. I know, right? I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, dad, come get me. I'm like, you motherfucker. <laughs> I had a lot of uh, close calls as a kid. Uh, I, too, for whatever reason, was a klepto. Sticky fingers? Yeah, but I, I say it's because, I mean, I grew up with, a, I didn't have a lot of money growing up, right? So we didn't have a lot of things. And um, it was it was easy to just take the things, right? And it wasn't even big things. It was small things like candy or, you know, like me and my cousins, we would go and tear up a store, right? We'd have all kind of candies. When we got older, it was liquor. We would still <laughs> bottles. <laughs> How, oh, in California, liquor's in a grocery store, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm like, yeah. how you steal liquor? <laughs> in New York, there was no stealing liquor. Yeah, we would walk out clinking, clinking, clinking. Clink. <laughs> I don't know how they didn't notice, but they did. They knew. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but I, I did go to jail when I was a kid once, and it's because I was uh, stealing uh, sandwich meat um, to for, for my brothers and sisters we were going to eat, and... Um, I, I think I may have gotten greedier. It was a, I don't know what had happened, but I ended up going to actual jail and getting fingerprinted and everything, but they let me go. I, I was only like 16, 17, I don't know. Um, and small note kids, when I uh, went, I was just telling um, our producer about being promoted. I was a bank teller and I got promoted to the vault teller. It's like an assistant to the branch manager. And they ran, you know, they had to do a background check on me and that came up. So that was so many years ago, um, and they still gave me the position, but they were just like, hey, we just want to let you know this came you're up. You're on a short we, leash yeah. where you're under a, a scrutiny of an eye. Yeah, and we want to, you know, this is something that's on your your, your history, so just want to make you aware of it. And I'm like, shit, so like, you, that was such a long time ago. You almost, didn't, you almost didn't get a great job yeah. because of Oscar Myers, stealing Oscar Myers. Yeah, legit, legit as shit. And, and, and that's kind of, you know, I mean... I, I'm not making fun of it, but if you think about the reality of our our our, our system, is yes. you were stealing because you were hungry, yep. and you almost could, yeah you almost couldn't get a job because of a choice that you had to make situational, yep. right? Because yep. of the the environment, where something like that it shouldn't even hit your record. It no. Should have just been like, all right, let's just wash this. I was shocked that it came up. Shocked. I was just like, what? I didn't. I didn't. I would have told them nothing would have come up. You know, but. Yeah. That it came up, but I still got the job. And I'm very grateful for that because they were like, you know, it was a small fraction. It wasn't huge. So, but yeah, that was my, my time. And then, um, and then as an adult, yes, I did get a DUI. So there's that. Yeah. And that's, that's just unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that's just one of those, like always pushing the, the envelope. The and limits, it was before yeah. Uber, like was, Uber now is, I mean, with Uber, why, you know, just call an Uber. It's 10 bucks. Yep. Get you home safe, you yeah. know? Unless your Uber driver's drinking, which is crazy, right? But yeah. <laughs> I think the most important thing that you said, and it's, I'm sure it's hard for us to not sound like those old people when you're talking to younger people, but we have those laps around the sun and we understand the experience of our decisions. And so what I always say to people is, 
we all make mistakes, mm -hmm. but you've got to have that point to where you realize this could affect me long-term. Do I want to keep going down this path? Yeah, a thousand percent. And, 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 and as kids, we don't think about it. No. Even as young people, you're, you're just, I mean, what I did yesterday, I'm not thinking about today because yesterday I'm like, shit, I was younger yesterday. And today, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to do what I did yesterday. And and to your point, yes, I did do a night in jail. Same thing like you. <laughs> I had to do a night in jail for the same reason. Uh, but as a kid, um, I, I did a lot of things. I did. You know, we, I think we all stole at some point. You know, it's just one of those things where you felt like you get away with it. And then, of course, growing up where we grew up, um, we pushed on the love, too. We was product of environments. Um, selling drugs and all that other stuff. It was it was just what you did in your environment. But I was I was afraid of my pop, just like how you said, Paul. My pop was a Marine. The last thing I wanted to do was call him. I remember not being able to get home from a party one night, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I called him, and that was the worst phone call ever. And uh, he didn't come get me. I had to walk home. Because <laughs> first of all, back in New the, York in January? Yeah, it was... It was <laughs> I think it probably was, yeah, because <laughs> he had to this work. The, teach him. Yeah, he had to work the next day. Uh, there was no cell phones back then, so you know we had to go to a payphone, and and it was me and my brother, and I was like, I was like, he, I was like, yo, we just gotta walk, forget this, and and again, I was like, I'm not gonna do anything that piss my pops off. Um, I've already done a lot of things to piss him off, so I'm like, I'm not gonna do it again. So it's so crazy, and again, not to sound older, but what would our kids do nowadays? Like. If they with no cell phone and we told them get home the best way you could and they they what would they do I don't even know I don't even know if my kids would make it home I don't even know how they would get there No we would have to go get them <laughs> <laughs> they would keep calling but they don't have any cell phone they have no cords to keep on putting I don't oh, know they, if they, they would it. figure it out <laughs> our kids will figure we've got weird phone calls from some weird numbers we're like who's this mom <laughs> like. Taylor? <laughs> I was gonna say it's always Taylor. We were just like, where are you? This kid, we used to be like, she'd be late for school almost every day, and I'm like, I'm not taking you to school. She would have the police officer on the corner take her to school. I'm like, how did you even get him to Work take it. you to school? So yeah, you're That's right. That kid. You're yeah. right. And we have four kids, so we have four kids. That's your entrepreneur right yeah. there. <sighs> we hope so. <laughs> Jump on that roller coaster because it's going to take you for a ride. Oh, she's taking us. Yeah, so we, we have four kids and a granddaughter, and, and our kids are all older. The youngest is seventeen, and uh, and she actually works with us at the cafe. Very cool. And uh, and and everybody else is out doing their own thing, um, all in into their own thing. And our granddaughter is three and a half years old, and well, I tell you, that is something different. Yes. Having a grandkid is yes. is something different, and and we're expecting another one. Yes. That's going to be something different. That's going to be... Shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Paul. Do, do you feel that... Um, policing has changed since i mean you've been in the field since forever has it changed much to you in your experience um and and how do you feel about that it's definitely changed for better or worse i guess it depends on what you define by better or worse mm. so i started my law enforcement career with the rodney king riots and I mean, actually my academy class got rolled out of the academy to provide security at a, at a, a lower level location. So that's where I kind of started my career. My blanket answer is go to work, do your job and remember that you're a human being. We all talk about, we all made mistakes as kids. 
I really honestly believe that because I, I made mistakes as a kid, it was much easier for me to relate to someone when they just made a mistake mm. and, and have that empathy. I do believe that it's a relationship with the community. I was raised in an era where if you screwed up your whole way home, basically you were in trouble because the neighbor, the neighbor had a voice into what you were doing and there was no, the, the worst thing you could do outside the house is disrespect your family. Mm -hmm. And so that was more embarrassing to the family. Uh, uh, you know, what did my son or my daughter do on the flip side? I'm going to put myself up on a little bit of a, a, a pedestal here. I've never been sued for anything I've done in my career. I, I go to sleep every night knowing that the people who went to jail needed to go to jail. They, they committed a crime and they deserve to go to jail. Some people may not like this answer. It's a game. You sit down to play a game, whether it's baseball, Monopoly, or law enforcement. They have a way they, they're going to play. You have a way that you're, you're required to play. Play the game by the rules. If you don't get them today, you'll get them tomorrow. Hmm. And maybe it was because I started out at a small agency that that really kind of built that mentality of, and the, the best example I can use, I'm a new officer. I'm, I'm out with a, a training officer. We arrest a guy. He was mouthy. And my training officer turns to me privately, goes, don't make it personal. Just let him be. Hmm. And he, the thing that really drove it home is, you can have the fight now, but that guy's going to come out of jail. And where do you think he's going to go back to when he comes out of jail? And now if he comes back with a grudge against you or a grudge against other law enforcement officers, simply because you wanted to enforce your opinion, let it go. And so that's how I always did my career. Hey, you're going to go to jail. It's not personal. It's my job. Mm -hmm. And I've had people come up to me afterwards and say, hey, man, I appreciate that you were cool with me. You respected me because that's all people want. Just mm -hmm. they just want respect. Mm -hmm. A thousand percent. I couldn't agree with you more about mm -hmm. <clears throat> understanding where people come from and saying that we all, you know, we're knuckleheads. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, and when you get to a certain position and if you reflect on that and have empathy, it makes you even better in that position. Yes. It was one of the things that I lived by when I was a manager. Uh, I would tell my team all the time. I was literally one write up from being terminated. I was young, first corporate job after being in the military. And, you know, I'm just trying to be the best I can. But at the being the best I can, I, I cut a lot of corners and those corners, cutting those corners got me into some trouble to where I almost lost my job, literally within the first year of being hired. And then after that, I, I literally turned around. I was on, uh, you remember this, I was, I was on the verge of being fired, one more thing, and then I got hired as a manager and just my, the trajectory of my position or, or my, my career changed after that. And every single team member that's ever um, been, been in my responsibility as a leader, I've told them the same exact thing. It's like, I understand where you are. I know what you're going through. I've been there. This is how we get you out of that. And, and, and it's just having that empathy and, and remembering, like, I've been in those shoes. I know what it's like. Like, like all right, so, so how can we how can we get you out of that? Yeah, real talk. And, and um, thank you for your integrity, never being sued and always doing the right thing. I mean, that, that means a lot. Um, 
in that position, it's very physically and mentally draining. Is there any techniques or what did you do to deal with that, like the stress or to cope with the day-to-day stress of that? I wish I had a profound answer for you. I really don't know. Mm. One of the things that I've taken the opportunity with my podcast is to really stress the importance of the mental health component. Mm. You came from the military. I came up as a kid in a generation and in an era of law enforcement where you see something bad, push it down, don't say a word, move on to the next one. I'll consider myself fortunate that there hasn't been anything extremely overt that I've noticed, but at the same token, I've had those periods where I only felt comfortable around other officers because they know me. You're a veteran. I only feel comfortable around other veterans because they know me. Mm-hmm. You got to get outside yourself. And and my new thing, if I could, if I could make a change in law enforcement today, I would want a brand new officer sitting in their patrol car with a, a training officer. They go to something horrific. Whatever it is, you got some young man, young woman, 22 years old, 23 years old. They've probably never seen a child abused. Mm. They've probably never seen a a dead body. Let's not even say horrific, just a dead body. Mm. How about when you get in the car when it's done? How'd that make you feel? Mm. Yeah. And and make it okay to say, that rattled my Rubik's Cube between my ears. Mm. Let me go sit in the station for the rest of the shift, whatever it is. The, the other thing that I do believe that law enforcement has improved upon is for some of the bigger agencies that can afford it, and I have a good friend of mine who was a trainee of mine who's now a psychologist. She's been embedded in their, in their uh, police department. Mm. And I don't mean this dismissively, but she's now like that plant in the corner. People get used to just having her there as opposed to, hey, it's Thursday and the shrinks in the house, go talk. I'm yeah, not, yeah. But if they're always there, it gets easier to go and knock on the door and go, hey doc, you got 10 minutes, I need to talk about something. We need to normalize that it's okay to say, what I've experienced is not normal and I wanna talk about it. I will throw myself under the bus and say that I fall into this trap even with my wife today. Now, fortunately, I'm significantly higher in rank so I don't really experience a lot of it, but every once in a while, hey, how was your day? It was fine. And and just dismiss it off. Yep. Now, obviously you don't want to come home and, and now throw it all on your spouse and like, mm. whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, you've, you've got to find that balance in how to talk to them and, and be able to, hey, I need to talk about what I experienced today. I'm going to leave out some of the, the specific details, mm-hmm. but you do need to talk to your family. I say that after 30 years mm-hmm. of law enforcement. I say that after two years of talking to men and women who have dealt with much worse in the sense of a personal battle, either attempting to or almost attempting suicide. And for me, what I've learned from this is we just need to normalize talking about it. A thousand percent. And and, and that's a great question, babe, because in 30 years, I mean, is there a case or a situation that still, you know, you kind of carry just a little bit up until today? Like, is there something on the back, like, damn, if, or, or, the person I am today would have handled the situation much better back then. 
There's definitely for me. And I, I think that every person is going to bring something different to the table. Mm. So I mentioned to you that it took doctors and drugs to, to get my three children. We lost our first two on that try. I've been off for work for a little while, handling it. Mm. First couple days back, there was a, a music store. We get a call. Hey, there's this guy. He's really drunk. He's on a bicycle. And you know those big plastic molded seats that they have on the back of bikes for kids? Yeah. Hey, he's got his kid in there. And so we get to the area, and I find him on his bike, but there's no kid. And so I was thinking, and initially you're thinking, oh, maybe the, the, the witness didn't see what they thought they saw. It was just him on a bike. And sure enough, about two or three minutes later, this guy pulls up in a car. Kid's all full of grass because he had followed the oh. guy. And he basically got close to a curb and fell over. And the kid rolled out into the grass. Didn't get hurt. To say I almost lost it is an understatement. Mm. Because of what I had experienced in losing a child. And this guy was so drunk that he didn't even, not even the fact that his kid was hurt, potentially hurt, that some stranger just went, hey, brother, let me just put the kid in my car. I'll follow you home. Mm. You know? Yeah. So that for me... Now, the other, I've been, to, I've been to horrific death scenes. I've been to horrific suicide scenes. I've been to horrific car crashes. Of course, they all do, but that one. That one, yeah. That, that's those carries. How long ago was that? This is probably pushing on, well, my kids are 18, 18 so they're yeah. 20 years 20 ago. 20 years ago. Mm, mm, mm. And I can, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I could imagine. And, and that's like one of those things where you have so much training. They give you so much training. But was there ever a time when there's a situation that you just didn't have training for? You're just like, oh shit, I was not trained for this and now how do I handle it? Not that, not that I can specifically remember. I think what it, the, the biggest thing for me to realize once I became a police officer, cause I had gone on ride alongs before I was a sworn officer, but you're never in a position of taking charge or anything like that. But, when you have a situation and I'll, I'll go to the extreme, you're pointing a gun at somebody and telling them to do something and they're going, no, you know, it's like it, it, it was the hardest thing for, cause in the Academy, they tell you, put your hands up and they do it. They comply. Automatically. Yeah. And then the first time somebody doesn't do that, you're like, what the fuck? Do you not see, yeah. you know, what's going on? The, but the, here's the flip side to it. So, when I first started law enforcement, we still carried shotguns in the car. Mm. I don't care who you are. The sound of a shotgun has an effect. Oh, yes. And just just racking a shotgun got people's attention. A thousand percent. It will definitely freeze you and you're, you're like, ah! <laughs> it's like, oh, somebody came to play. <laughs> but the, the biggest thing is, <clears throat> except for an immediate action situation, mm. I don't want to go down the path but uvaldi or something like that mm -hmm. where you don't have the luxury to kind of step back and go okay but for the most part mm -hmm. there is never a situation where you can't take a pause and just go all right let me think about my next move and if i don't know it hey senior guy you've been here 10 years what do i do from here there's you don't need to go just like oh i think i'll try this and it, it doesn't need to be done that way mm. So I, I got to ask, I'm going to take it a little bit lighter. And, and, I, and I heard a comedian say this one time, and I, I, I just have to ask, would you feel that 
if you had something in your gun that made people have like an orgasm or shit their self, <laughs> do you feel that it would one it would stop them? Right. They would stop in their tracks because they'd have an orgasm. They'd be like, Ugh, they'd stop or they'd have to shit. So they'd be like, Ugh. oh, you you, feel, they, there's they don't know which one it's going to be. And well, you don't I'm just, know. I'm, no, perhaps we, you could choose which one you'd prefer. Right. But would you rather have that than bullets? If it was just orgasms or shitting, I mean, if, I no, mean, if it was shitting, you wouldn't yeah. want them to shit. You because I put myself, like, I put myself on the other side of it. I don't want to shit my pants. So you would stop. He's he's thinking about if somebody pulled a gun on him. But, he's like, but, hey, you know, like hey, here's orgasm number one. Yeah. Are you finished? Know, you might, orgasm number you two. You might want to get you might want to keep getting shot. So then it's gonna be shit. Then you gotta shit. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say because it could be that person. I just be like, he keeps coming. Give me another one. Yeah. It's like in the military. It's may I have another. <laughs> <laughs> That's like come by cop. Yeah. Could you imagine having that discussion in a bar? So what was the best sex act you've ever been involved? Bro, this guy was shooting me and I would not stop yeah. coming. Okay, so yeah, the shit. You got a shit. Oh, that if, would suck. Oh, if it was me, I would push it in my bullets. Yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> you're about to stop Everybody right there. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing you're you gotta like, remember though is if you're willing to do it to somebody else, you gotta be have willing to be done to you. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, hey, if if it stops me to make me think like, damn, I need to take it in. I mean, listen, I don't want to be shot. Take up my car on the way back to the jail. <laughs> I don't want to be shot, so I don't. I'm not gonna want to shoot no. nobody either. So I don't definitely. I'm not want to make anyone shit, and I don't want to shit. No. But I would rather shoot somebody with something that's gonna make them shoot. You like if they're trying to run out the house on my TV, I'm like, bow, and they're like, oh, they keep trying to run. They're like, I can't. They just you know fall what? to their knees. Unfortunately, I think cops will take advantage of it still. <laughs> hey, watch this. Thing, watch whether, this. Whether it's an orgasm or shitting your pants, it's still gonna leave a trail, so you're yeah. able to find. <laughs> DNA is real. Yeah. Probably make Sorry. things much easier. Just want to take it yeah. a little lighter. Silly. <laughs> That's an interesting question. So, so transition drill is an interesting name for a podcast. How did you come up with the name? And then, uh, so this is a two part question. How did you come up with the name for the podcast? And then, how did you take the skills and everything that you've been through in in your work and career and life, and 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 move it over to the podcast? I'll do the second one first. Mm -hmm. I can't take credit for coming up with the idea for the for the podcast. We're in the middle of COVID. My then chief at a, at our management meeting says, Hey, we need to have a network of the former investigators who have retired and gone on and done something different other than just simply going to another law enforcement agency who could be a source of information mentors for anybody coming towards their retirement. Like, Hey, I, I want to reach out. So this network, and he goes, we got to figure out something like where we can have them come in once a month and just be able to ask, you know, people could ask them questions about their transition. Mm. But I don't think he used the, the word transition. And so I immediately jumped on it because I was already listening to podcasts and we were going to be doing it over Zoom. So it was just like, oh, this sounds interesting. I did a couple of those sessions and I started getting emails from other, just my coworkers because it was just contained within my agency. Hey, you do a really good job. You just think about doing a podcast. So that's where it started coming from. Mm. I said, all right, I'm going to, and it, and obviously the, the first thing was, I'm just going to focus on first responders because we need, the one thing is these jobs have, they, they don't go forever. They do have an end date. Mm. Well, once you start doing the research, the one thing that we share with the military community is they do a great job of luring us in. They do a horrible job of letting us go, letting us go. Yeah. It's basically, there's the door. Have a nice day. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and, 
you know, you can you can look at the military. The one thing they do is they have the TAPS program, but talk to 95% of the people getting out of the military. They just want out. Yeah. yeah. I got to sit here to check the box. All right. And they're not paying attention. Then about six months down the road, you're like, maybe I should have paid attention to that resume class or something like thousand that. percent. So it quickly went from the first responder community and the veteran community. And it was that transition, transition to another job. Now, in, in my career, I've also had the opportunity of going down the tactical route and SWAT and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that we train ad nauseum are transition drills. Basically, you're firing your rifle, usually your primary platform, so it's a rifle. It goes down for whatever reason, whether it simply ran out of bullets, it's jammed, whatever. If you're in a gunfight, you don't sit there and go, let me figure out, you put it down, transition to your sidearm, usually, mm. and get back into the gunfight until you have time to figure it out. And you said they teach you this ad nauseum. Tell me what that is. It's just a million times. I mean, if, if, you're, on a, if you're on a tactical team, <laughs> I guarantee you, anybody who's listening to this who's been on a tactical team, there's probably been an entire, maybe not an entire day, but a good half day of just transition drills. Because the thing is, okay. you have to do it so many times that you don't even think about it. Because if you're engaging with somebody who's shooting at you, you need to transition and get bullets back in their direction. Mm -hmm. So it's a transition drill. But the thing that I took from it was, I wanted people to start looking at their transition the same way. Don't think about it when it's time for it to happen. Start thinking about it today. Start preparing for your transition today mm -hmm so that when you get to it tomorrow, because unfortunately the one thing that, the other thing that we share in the veteran community and the first responder community is tomorrow can literally be tomorrow, even if you're not planning for it. Thousand percent. You're, in, you're doing something today, you slip, you fall, boom, a back, a leg, an arm. It may, not, it may not debilitate your entire life, but it gets to a point where either the government or your agency goes, hey, we're sorry about your knee. We're sorry about your back, but you can't do this anymore. Mm. And now you're in a position of now what? shit. Yep. And I've had those guests, you know, I've, I've had Jose Rodriguez, a, a, another gentleman who lives up in the, the Paso area. He gets into a foot pursuit, messes up his knee. He's sitting in his car and it's just like all of a sudden just the pain hits to the point. He can't even step out of the car. Mm. He gets helped up, goes to the hospital. No big deal. It's a, it's a knee injury. Okay. Well, unfortunately, what he didn't know, and when they put him on medication, was he now developed blood clots. So then they had to put him on blood thinners. Well, as soon as he's on blood thinners, it's, you can't yeah, be a cop this, anymore. Yeah. So, you know, talk about not wanting to give up your career and having the rug just literally pulled out from underneath you. So I'll go back to when I was a training officer, and, and I would have a new officer in, in the car with me, and they would say, should I go to college? Yes, go Absolutely, to college, yeah. but don't go get a criminal justice degree because it won't do you any good if you leave this. Go get a degree in accounting or something that you could do today or tomorrow if you lose this job. So that's the backbone of this podcast is just start thinking today about what you're going to do tomorrow. Damn, that's so crazy because everything that you're, you're saying reminds me of like a football player or I read the, the Power of Habit and it talks about Tony Dungeon and how he trained um, his, his, his team, right? Like those, 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 uh, clicks over and over again, the same thing, the same thing over and over. They're like, why are we doing this over and over again? And then when they're in the actual game, it just came like second nature. Right. And so that's, that's crazy. And then to have like a football player too, to, to, to know that 
the rug could be snatched from under you. And this is a career that you have literally spent your whole life wanting to do. And now all of a sudden you can't do it. So that that's crazy. It's definitely you guys are athletes. And, and that's this like, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and, and the transition term is is so profound because like i was saying earlier that that's been uh, a conversation that i've had more this year and uh, i've actually been asked because when i transitioned out of the military um i was homeless at some part of that so it was you you get out the military you have all these credentials uh you have all this education and these skill sets but then you're overqualified um you know when i when i got out it was 2009 when i was completely done with it but um my first time out was in 2007 ish or something somewhere around there but I couldn't get a job. I even went for the FBI. I went for Secret Service. I tried to get into law enforcement because I thought that was uh, what I would be comfortable with. Um, but my transition wasn't dialed in. And now, as an entrepreneur, I think about transition. And I think about my brothers and sisters as coming out of the military and even having a daughter now in the military and thinking about her transition and coming out. It is a very important uh, subject. It's a topic. I'm glad that you have a podcast to kind of coach people through that 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 process um because to your point law enforcement military no matter where you are it is a transition or it, it, it is a different world because the amount of people that actually do that job is significantly less than any other job that that you could think of in, in, in the united states and so when you come out of this this ecosystem of we're the same to being a normal human being in your neighborhood in your community as a civilian it, it it takes some 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 wrinkles that needs to be ironed out because you're a different human being mm -hmm. being in law enforcement for 30 years i mean what kind of what kind of things that you this is another two-part question what would you tell someone going into law enforcement today in 2023 like because you said in 88 completely different world mm -hmm. right what would you tell someone going into law enforcement today and what kind of practices and mechanisms do they need to 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 have in place to to be able to do it for 30 years? Because you're fortunate to come from an era where it was push it down, get over it. It's not like that today. Now everybody's more vocal, they're more vulnerable, and there are practices out there. And you say you're a high level leader now. And and so what kind of things and 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 I'm sorry because we've been talking forever now. It seems like we could keep going. <laughs> so we also have to get you prepared for your final thought and and and, and how we're going to find you uh, because we've been going at this for almost an hour. <laughs> so so again, you know, what would you tell somebody Good brand conversations new? Conversations have yeah, no time limit. Exactly. <laughs> what would you tell somebody brand new coming in, and then what kind of practices uh, to get to a, a career that's have been. Um, exciting and 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 uh beautiful as yours for th for 30 years i will definitely try to paraphrase this down to to not draw out the the conversation longer first foremost have fun mm. Mm. it's a great career you're gonna meet some amazing people in this career you'll have the opportunity to do some amazing things have fun 2023 go in grab your department policy and learn it Learn what you are allowed to do and what you are not allowed to do and learn what in what situations you are given discretion to deviate from what's the policy. Mm, okay. Know it forward and backwards. Think twice about what you put on social media. Mm. Because if you don't think that what you post on social media is going to get put in front of a jury 
during a jury trial, you're, you're mistaken. Mm. So think about what you post on social media. Don't enforce your opinion. Enforce the law. If the law has been broken, enforce the law. If you just don't agree with what the person's doing, but it's not a crime, what do you care? Move on with it. Make being off work and time with your family and time with your friends as important as when you're at work. It's just a job. I say this all the time. When a plumber's not working, they're not walking around with a monkey wrench going, hey, whose toilet's backed up? <laughs> no, that's, that's right. Facts. When, Cheer, when, cheers to that. <laughs> no, that's right. When, when they go home, the last thing they want to think about is a stopped up toilet. Mm -hmm. Okay. When a doctor's not working, he or she's not walking around with a stethoscope around their neck. Okay. So leave work at work, go to work, do your job, do your job, right. Have fun, but leave it, make it a, make it just. Somebody who's in the military is going to experience horrendous things. We as people are not meant to deal with a lot of that. It's not natural for us. So understand that if it affects you more, first off, don't compare yourself to anybody else. If it affects you, go talk to somebody, deal with it. If it doesn't affect you to the point that you're almost ambivalent to it, mm look at yourself a little deeper because how are you able to turn it off that much so that's i could I go on that. i could go on yeah. forever but i love that. that that was great and and that's not just for i, I gotta say this that's not just for law enforcement yeah like, that's, that, like, that's yeah that's everybody that's, <laughs> like, that's, like, that's yeah. a great great way to end it <laughs> yeah. that is definitely life and shit yeah that that's <laughs> life and shit that's for every entrepreneur everybody out there like that that is fucking beautiful uh paul we got an we know the name of the podcast is uh, tr Transition Drill. Where can we find it? What's your hashtags? Uh, I mean, your, your handles, social media handles. Where can people find you? How can they keep in touch with you? You can find the audio side anywhere. S Apple, Spotify, even something like Google. Anywhere. Transition Drill. You can find it on YouTube, Transition Drill Podcast. You can go to the website, TransitionDrillPodcast.com. I just recently started a subreddit. Transition Drill Pod because Transition Drill Podcast is too long. Mm. But yeah, anywhere and everywhere. Instagram, I use my name, Paul Pantani, as my Instagram handle. On TikTok, it's Transition Drill Podcast. Uh, Twitter, it's my name, Paul Pantani. But yeah, anywhere and everywhere, I'm trying to blast Favorite. it out. I love it. Super dope. I love it. All right, I love you. I love you. That's life and shit. Appreciate you, Paul. Thank you for your time. <laughs> Do us a favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Leave a review. Let us know what your thoughts are. That's the only way that this show is going to be successful. And we appreciate you. Talk with you next time.